0: with the opening of the fifth seal we leave behind the four horses and their riders what the first four seals had in common was that something in heaven was being inflicted on earth the breaking of each seal released upon the inhabitants of earth in turn Antichrist War, famine, death. Notice the increase. Each being the logical result of the first, of the previous. If you have Antichrist, you're gonna have war. If you have war, you're gonna have famine. Have famine, death. The scene that is revealed in vision to John when the fifth seal is broken is reversed from the first four. The vision shows in heaven the result of what happened on earth, especially, or specifically, martyrs for the Word of God and their testimony. So we're ready for the fifth seal, Revelation 6, verses 9 to 11. Martyrs. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to them, each, given to each of them a white robe. And they were told that they should rest for a little while longer, until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. We need to remind ourselves again That a prophetic vision John writes I saw I saw this in front of me it's a prophetic vision a prophetic vision is not unlike some of our nocturnal dreams and imaginings wherein things described may not be as they seem we have dreams in which we're around people we know ah this is our neighbor Or, this is a good friend of mine in in the dream. Yet, by appearance, we've never seen them before in their lives, in our lives. I'm always having house dreams. And invariably, in every dream, I'm living in a house. It's my house. It's our house. It's on a certain piece of land. In the dream, it's our house looks nothing like our house. And in each dream, it's different. In some instances, the imagery in biblical prophecy can be taken as literal. For example, there will indeed be vast numbers of people killed by war and famine and beasts of the earth as a result of the fourth seal broken in heaven. That's going to happen. There's going to be war, people will die. Very often, however, the imagery is to be seen as metaphorical, representative, or allegorical. For example, John describes the effects of the sixth seal being broken, verses 12 to 14, as, quote, The whole moon became like blood. The stars of the sky fell to the earth. The sky was split apart or vanished like a scroll when it is rolled up. The tone of that passage seems to be one of the apostles struggling for ways to describe supernatural events to mere earthlings, even to himself. I can well imagine John standing there in his vision saying, what in the world? All I can do is the best I can to describe what it's like. John sees an altar in heaven. Some say this is the golden altar of incense. Some say it's the brazen altar of sacrifice. I'm not sure it matters that much. Which altar it is is the least of our considerations. The point is, he sees this going on beneath an altar. John reports that underneath the altar, he sees, quote, the souls of those who had been slain, end quote. Why were they slain? Because they maintained an allegiance to and a determined testimony, even in the face of death, for the word of God. There's our tie-in. To, I'm always pastors, always preaching something. Say, hey, wait a minute! I got that in my notes. That's what Timothy, or that's what Paul was saying to Timothy. I'm about to die for holding to the word of God. You keep preaching the word because you're going to die eventually. Hang in there. These people were killed. They were martyred because they held to the word of God. And publicly, it was their testimony. Some say these represent all the saints ever martyred for Christ. But there are clues embedded in these three verses that lead us to conclude, conclude that these are those who have been martyred thus far during the tribulation. This is a more localized event. For example, the text of verse 10 would indicate that those who persecuted and killed these martyrs are still alive on earth. They plead to the Lord. How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth. As if they're still on the earth. And if this group included Christian martyrs from all time, that is, not just the tribulation, well, work that through. Then that would not track with the events of the rapture in which all previous martyrs would have been resurrected and now be happily with the Lord, right? Already in their glorified bodies. These martyrs are not yet glorified, but seem to be held in the same state in which believers would find themselves who have died prior to the rapture. They are are souls, sukkas, of those killed. And this answers one of our, I mean, am I the only one who's wondering, well, what is it going to be like? Christ on the cross said, you'll be with me in paradise. Okay. Then I'm not going to purgatory, right? Right. Right. But just what will we be? What What will we look like? What will be our construct? Oh, this, this helps us understand that. Alan F. Johnson writes, this is generally understood to mean the disembodied souls of these saints. However, the Greek word, suke, from which we get psyche, has several meanings and probably stands here for the actual lives or persons who are very much alive, though they have been killed. And he says killed by the beast. I say, I stick in the word probably, probably killed by the beast. John F. Wolvard writes, scholars have been divided as to whether saints who die receive temporary bodies in heaven prior to the resurrection body. Because, I mean, I've thought about this over the years. If if there is the resurrection at the rapture, I'm I'm in my grave, the rapture, if I'm in, if my body is in my grave, I'm with the Lord, it says I'm with the Lord, but what do I look like? Am I a glowing orb of energy? Do I have a What what? No. Please, please, God, no. And not certainly not Lample. That we we just no, we just we don't want him to glow. That just wouldn't do. Yeah. So I've thought about this over the years. Scholars have been divided as to whether saints who die receive temporary bodies in heaven prior to the resurrection body or whether only their spiritual beings are in heaven before the resurrection. In this verse, there's a contribution to an answer to this question. The martyred dead here pictured have not been raised from the dead and have not received their resurrection bodies. Yet it is declared that they are given robes. There's a clue. The fact that they're given robes would almost demand that they have a body of some kind. A robe could not hang upon an immaterial soul or spirit. It is not the kind of body that Christians now have That is, the body of earth, nor is it the resurrection body of flesh and bones of which Christ spoke after his own resurrection. It is a temporary body suited for their presence in heaven, but replaced in turn by their everlasting resurrection body given at the time of Christ's return. That's John F. Wolverd. I would add to this that they obviously also have voices with which to communicate. If they've not yet been resurrected and glorified, when will they be? Well, when Christ returns at the end of the tribulation and prior to the millennium. Let's look at that passage. Revelation 20. Revelation chapter 20. read let's read verses four to six
1: then I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the Word of God and those who had not worshiped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands
0: Note here that the thousand-year millennium is covered in less than four verses, while the seven-year tribulation takes up 14 chapters. That's interesting. I take that to mean that God's priority in communicating to John and thus to any readers of his word in the Revelation is less the wonder and glory of 1000 years under the righteous king than the wrath and pain and suffering inflicted upon an unrighteous kingdom under the rule of Satan. The predominant message of the Revelation, these 22 chapters. Is expressed by the writer to Hebrews, citing Deuteronomy thirty two, thirty-five to thirty-six. He writes, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Hebrews ten, thirty to thirty one. That takes that perspective that mindset that priority is what is preeminent in the revelation God saying that's it I've waited long enough now is the time the bulk of those 22 chapters are about that in one way or another An initial reading of verses 9 to 11, may back to our passage in chapter 6. May evoke an image of struggling figures pinned down beneath a heavy stone or metal sacrificial altar. Is that what popped into your mind when we read that? You you see these, there's... uh, writhing body bodies arms and legs sticking out underneath the weight of a stone altar that's always been the picture in my mind once again this is a prophetic vision not a literal narrative turn please to leviticus chapter 4 blow the dust off leviticus Chapter 4, let's read verses 5 to 7.
2: And the anointed priest shall take some of the blood of the bull and bring it into the tent of meeting. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle part of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of fragrant incense before the Lord that is in the tent of meeting, and all the rest of the blood of the bull he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting.
0: There in verse 7 is the connection. In imitation of their Lord and Savior, these martyrs have shed their own blood out of their obedience and devotion to God's word. It is likely these are the ones spoken of in Revelation 13, 15, who are killed because they refuse to, quote, worship the image of the beast, end quote. An even closer connection would be with the martyrs in Revelation seven fourteen. Quote, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Interestingly, in verse 10, Back in our passage, in verse 10, they refer to God not as Adonai, which is kind of what you'd expect, but as despotes, we get the word despot from it. Despotes means an absolute ruler and implies ownership. He owns us. This despot owns us. The ESV and NIVs add sovereign to make the point. Just as the psalmist, these martyrs are calling out for God's justice. For him to do as he promised. We cannot find fault with these. This is... is, Okay, the psalmists do it all the time. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Note the admixture of imagery in this scene. There's a lot going on. Because this is a prophetic vision, there's a lot going on, and it kind of goes in different directions, but it all links up. It crosses over each other. John describes them as souls, but whatever their form, they represent the blood they have shed for the Lord God. Why? Because they are underneath, at the bottom of the altar just as the sacrificial blood was poured out at the base of the altar. So these embodied souls really represent the blood they have shed. And it's that blood crying out. Just as the blood of Christ, the Lamb of God, was poured out upon the soil at the base of the cross. And as in Hebrews, once for all upon the tabernacle altar, Hebrews 9 11 to 14. So they are at the same time a picture of Christ's sacrifice for all of us. So it is, as it were, the martyr's blood itself crying out for God's vengeance. This is not new imagery. Indeed, it points back to the very first family on earth. Genesis 4, please. Last time I'll have you turn. Genesis 4. Verses 8 to 11.
3: Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. The voice of your brother's
0: blood is crying to me from the ground. The blood that gives life to flesh is important in God's economy. He places great emphasis on it. There is blood running all the way through God's word, and especially the Old Testament. Also in Genesis, he told Noah, And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning from every beast. I will require it and from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Genesis 9, 5 to 6. In verse 11, we have the Lord's answer to the plea of the martyrs. Each of them is given a white robe, which as mentioned before, seems to indicate that they have some sort of body on which to place the robe. Probably temporary. The white robe is a sign of righteousness, purity. Also in chapter seven, verse nine, and verses 13 to 14, I wouldn't be dogmatic about this, but I would place it in the same category as the crowns believers will be given. That is a reward, a sign of the Lord God's approval. I put crowns in scare scare quotes. I think the word crown spoken of in the epistle Is not a literal crown, but it's God's favor, His blessing upon us. Nonetheless, the martyr's pleading request will not be immediately granted. God stands by His promises to His people, but He does not promise that it will be immediate. They are told that, quote, they should rest, end quote, for a little while longer. <clears throat> the Greek word is anaposante. Just like that, he rips it off. Aposante. Anaposante, as if I know what I'm talking about. Means to give intermission from labor. Well, that follows, that tracks. To remain quiet. How long? quote, until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed even as they had been would be completed also. (laughs) Sovereign indeed. Here we have evidence for the omniscient, omnipotent hand of God. He knows the precise number of those who will be martyred in his name during the tribulation. And to this early group, he says that that number has not yet been reached. There are two things going on here. First, God knows the number. We would expect that. Here's where this world that we live in chokes. Second, God wants the number. He expects it. He desires it. He insists on that number of martyrs. To the misguided minions of this fallen world, this is not the behavior of a loving God. But it is. God loves justice and righteousness. And the eschaton is all about a just, righteous God demonstrating His sovereign rule over all things. We cannot in the same breath call him sovereign or despotes, absolute ruler, then question his judgments. You can't have it both ways. This means that God's tangible response to the plea for vengeance from these martyrs will have to wait until at least the end of the tribulation, the return of Christ in judgment, or perhaps even until the great white throne judgment after the millennium, probably the former. During the tribulation, there will be a price to be paid for being a Christian. At that time, it will be very much as it was in the 30s and 40s in German-occupied Europe. Then if you were a Jew, even nominally, It didn't matter who or what else you were, even just a small measure of Jewish blood was sufficient for you to be carted off to a camp, and in most cases, certain death. Christians, those who convert after the rapture, Gentiles or Jews alike, will suffer much the same fate under the rule of Antichrist as the Jews did under Hitler. Although the text is not explicit, we conclude these martyrs are Christians, slaughtered for their faith in Christ Jesus, because the tribulation is intentionally a time of God's wrath focused on Israel. Any Jews who reject Christ, their blood won't be found under the altar in heaven. They'll suffer the wrath of God and be consigned to the lake of fire. They certainly will not be receiving his reward and consolation. Earlier in this study, we looked at the various dispensations, charts two and three. Here in the scene from the fifth seal, we have evidence that God's economy is now passing through a different dispensation from which we have dwelt since the time of Christ on earth. We are now in the time of grace. The church age. Dispensation of grace. Note once again the entreaty of the martyrs under the altar. How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? It's a a question, but it's a almost a demand from the cross Jesus prayed father forgive them for they do not know what they're doing Luke 23 34 Stephen prayed Lord do not hold this sin against them acts 760 note the contrast the prayer of these martyrs is to put it in our contemporary vernacular sick em, God go get them heaven deals differently with sin during the different dispensations i read some commentators that tried to shave off the sharp edges of this saying well they they said this in a loving way a gracious way i i, I just don't see that there's no evidence for that they're mad so we gave our life for you god you promised that you'd Avenge us. We've we've set that aside in our lives. It's up to you. You said you'd do it. And he says, I will. Just hold on a little while longer. It's a different dispensation. During the Old Testament era, law was the principle on which God dwelt with wicked men. Grace is the principle of our present dispensation but in the narrative of the last things sin will no longer be addressed by the principle of grace then the active principle will be judgment and wrath against the wicked never forget that it is only by God's grace That we who are alive now live during the dispensation of and are governed by him under the principle of grace. At some point in the future, that will end. 2 Peter 3, 9-10 to The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish. We dwell in a dispensation in which God is holding back the wrath so that he could capture as many people as possible for Christ. He's being patient. He's overlooking (coughs) sin to a certain extent, waiting, wanting to bring in as many people as possible. The passage continues, but that all should reach repentance. But, big but, the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. That day is surely coming. When? We have no idea. But it will be a different time. Not a different God. A God who remains the same never changes. But now we'll see it'll be a different time. He will deal with things in a different way. I've left a fair chunk of time for any thoughts, any questions.
3: And I see a hand. (laughs) (laughs) Question <laughs> excuse me, about who these um, who these are with the, the white robes, those that have uh, been slain for the word of God. Mm-hmm. Can you can you clarify and, and add and, and maybe I'm stilling a little bit of, of what next week is when as we open the the sixth seal or as we take a look at the sixth seal. Are these Jews, are they Gentiles, are they part of this uh 144,000? No, no. No, it's a
0: totally different group. God will set aside from Israel, and I take that to mean not Israel like me because my grandfather was a Jew my father never even told me and he was a protestant his whole life so but i've got that much jewish blood in me i take that to mean not me but active israel jews who call themselves jews who are jews god will set aside a remnant 12000 from each tribe tribe that's a different group. Those will go through the tribulation, but they will not be killed. So, specifically not them, because they will not be killed. They'll be saved. These, I don't, I, I don't think we can go beyond saying that they're Christians, they're believers. Whether they're Gentiles or Messianic Jews, I don't think we can say that's my answer today. In a few weeks, it may be different, but I don't see anything in this text to say that they're Gentile or Jew or all of the above.
3: But we know enough to know that they're believers, even though the Spirit has left. They That's are. Right. They have come to know Him. That's truly. right.
0: Yeah, I. When. Yeah, that business. I was thinking about that again. Well, we it's so easy to limit God. We do it not even thinking about it, because we're we're a flesh. But if you hold the position that at the rapture the Spirit leaves with the church, that doesn't nec- that doesn't mean that he's okay, he goes to Florida and puts his feet up and gets a tan. No, no, no. He's still working. But things change. Just as God's answer to sin changes from our time of grace, we get away with murder. And he's holding back that immediate wrath. He doesn't, he doesn't give us what we deserve on the spot. He holds back. And <clears throat> the spirit doesn't leave forever. He's still active Just in different ways
4: so you were talking about um, or scripture was about the souls under the altar Um, a robe was given so they had to have some or we would imagine there had to be some body that was temporary Um, we don't know that no right so uh, we're just using common sense we are um, just as uh, the, the, the heavens are above the earth, so are God's ways above our ways. We can't understand his ways. But, I, but by using what he's given us, um, I think there's all kinds of parables in life that help us to better understand him. Um, so I just, I wonder um, if the souls didn't have a body um, and God gives them a robe to comfort them, um, and I I think about when a baby an infant is born, um, mothers will swaddle their baby because they're, they're they-
0: That's not the imagery of the white robe in Revelation. It's 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 not to comfort. It's not to warm. It's 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 a sign of righteousness. It's a it's a uh, of of holiness. And it's it's more often than not in the in the category of a of a reward you you are given a re- it's like it's like the ultimate attaboy from god the father he gives you a white robe so it I'm i don't think the the parallel is, doesn't go with a mother give putting a blanket over a baby
4: where i was going with it is that sorry, they're I restless ju- sorry i jumped on you in the middle no of no no it's i'm i'm used to that but um. <laughs> the uh uh the 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 parallel i guess that i was drawing is that the babies are restless but when they're swaddled they calm down um and if the souls are under the altar looking for god to uh to follow up with his promise god says i got this here let me I'll, i'll give you something to help help you bide the time i don't See, I'm just I'm coming up with something like other people have said, well, you must have a temporary body because otherwise you couldn't put a robe on. Um, but we don't know that. So uh, the only thing, I guess, where I'm going to is I, I don't know that I want to necessarily jump to the souls under the altar as having a body because it doesn't say the people under the altar. It said the souls. But
0: the word translated souls can also mean life. The person so you're right that we can't be dogmatic about that Uh, but it does kind of help us it does fill in a few blanks from other settings not just underneath the altar in heaven Uh, and and you could be right God says here I'll I'll give you a palliative (laughs) a temporary palliative I'll give you a white robe Eh. I'm not sure about that but doesn't say one way or the other.
2: Uh, an observation uh we do know we we have some uh past experience of of what a resurrected body does look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was flesh like. Mm-hmm. Uh um, you know, I mean, I don't know that that's our permanent body, or what, or that that's Christ's permanent body. But we saw—I mean, they did see it. They did see Him after He was resurrected, and He did have something to touch. Mm-hmm. They had because He asked them to put their fingers in His hand, the holes in His hands, and so forth. And so there was something tangible there. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's fair to say. Uh, that that's at least a i mean christ we're not christ but but i think that's at no least but he a, was the
0: example god's least, word is explicit that he was his the resurrection first. he was the first first fruits and we will be like him and and so but I, I are you suggesting that these souls under the altar have resurrected bodies they do not
2: they do not have glorified bodies uh, no, but do we know that the body that, that, uh, that they, that the apostles saw w- with Christ mm-hmm. was his glorified body? Uh, it, or was it just the body that he was given temporarily, like we will be receiving before that day when everything changes? I, mean, I, don't, I, don't. I, can,
0: I can only say that I have never read any scholar or commentator who says that, that it was temporary. They all say, they all agree from Scripture that he was the first fruits. His, as he was resurrected to his glorified body, so we too will be resurrected to our glorified bodies. Uh, and that they all agree that yes, this is this is the body he is in now, his glorified state.
2: The the other the only the other thing I wanted to say was by seeing the martyrs, that's an, that can be an encouragement to us uh, that there will be there I don't know how many of this is, but there will be people. Come to faith during the tribulation.
0: Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. There's there's considerable evidence for that. There, there has to be. Yes. Ladies first.
3: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, you said you don't know if the Gentiles are the ones that were going to be killed. I was just confused. Uh... Because, like, when the church is taken, I thought it's only all the Gentiles, and then the Gentiles are not given another chance. That's what I thought, like the church was teaching. But
0: I'm not sure where you got that. I guess I don't think I've said it.
3: uh, No, not you. But I just heard many. That's what I've learned. That like when the church is taken, there will be no more chance for the Gentiles. Because when Mm. the last Gentile enters in the church will be taken and then it's only the Jews that are left for the tribulation. Mm-hmm. So that's what, so I'm glad you're, you'll let me know this now. So there will be Gentiles that will come to faith in tribulation as well. Sure. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Just to add more for this, Body or what is, you know, these, these, I'm sorry, I mentioned it. (laughs) No, I mean, it's, I think it's coming up next week and and maybe it'd do well to, to, to read seven, nine and following to talk about the, those gathered before the throne and how they have a face and how they're, they're standing and how they have arms. I mean, all, all these, these things are mentioned there, um, kind of indicate that there's a body that that does things. Getting back to the, look at
0: verse 9. After these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation. Look at me. Every nation, every nation, every tribe, that's Gentiles. And peoples and tongues standing before the throne before the Lamb clothed in white robes. So yes, plenty of Gentiles.
3: And you're saying those are the tribulation soul or tribulation right? Mark.
0: I'm having to go back and look because I can no longer remember. First off, in, in verse four, chapter seven, verse four, there's there's two groups. See, you're always jumping ahead, Greg. There's two groups. Mentioned, this, this is the next parenthetical vision. First, the 144,000, verse 4, her number of those who were sealed, in other words, protected, set apart. 144,000, 12,000 from each tribe. That is, there will be 12 tribes in the last days. After these things, verse 9, I looked. And behold, then this is all the big congregation around the throne. Now I don't I don't want to be, see, it's dangerous to, even though I'm working on that passage, I'm not done with it yet. And I'm I can't say specifically whether that is. Just tribulation saints or not? I think it's everybody, but I'm not sure. Stay tuned. Oh, well, Dave, read the text, Lample. Good grief. Look at that. Look at verse 14. He said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. And they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. I think after this class, I'm going to hang it up. (laughs) I'm getting too old for this. (laughs) I remember, you know, Merrill, great teacher in this church. Great teacher. But he reached an age where he says, I can't do this anymore. Oh, please, Merrill, keep teaching. He said, no, time's up. That day is vast approaching for me. (laughs) What else?
3: Well, I just thought it was interesting as we're talking about glorified bodies and whether Christ was in his glorified body or not. It kind of made me wonder, well, Christ showed the disciples scars in his hand the holes in his hand this the spear in his side in a glorified body would we have that uh it just it's a question that you kind of
0: well but it, to be fair that could also describe a temporary body right who, who are we to say i don't what i the point i was making is that the body christ Showed us after his resurrection was meant to be a type for our body. He was the first fruits of our resurrection, of of all resurrection. He was the first person to be resurrected to a glorified body. We assume to be the permanent glorified body. We think it is. I've never seen anyone who said it wasn't. I will bow to their scholarship. Dennis. I'm not sure there's a
1: verse, but I've always been told that when we get to heaven, our body will be like Christ, but we will see the scars. Uh, So I think even with his glorified body, we will see his scars and realize how much that he went through for us, that he died for us. Yeah. And the other thing... uh, this is different than what we've been talking about, but when these people, these martyrs say, how long, Lord? I've been reading through Psalms, and David," you know, he was saying that a lot, and the psalmist, how long, Lord, are you gonna judge my enemies? So it's not wrong to do that. I always thought, well, that's kinda, you know, asking God, and, uh, you know, because we're- Because
0: he promised that he would. Yeah. They're saying, okay, God, prom- you've promised us,
1: do it. So, so it's not a bad thing even for us. We can no. pray for enemies, but we also can say, Lord, Come, you know, judge this world. We're ready, you know. You see what I mean? We're we're to pray for our enemies, but we also can pray for God's judgment to come. That's that right. makes sense.
0: That's right. That's right. He, he's a holy God. He has every right to do what He's doing in the end times. Father, we honor you. Sometimes we. Struggle to understand what you have written for us. Understand that we want to know the truth. We know it is your truth, the only truth. And yes, we would lift our voices with those under the altar. Come. Deal with them. Those who hate you. Deal with them. Give us patience, Father. Patience that can only come from you. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.